Good evening, everyone. Welcome back. And you have chosen to gather with us this evening as we continue our study in the book of Ephesians. Tonight it's Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 to 24, that I have entitled Being Out of Step with the World. It is never easy to be out of step. To be out of step necessarily means that we do not fit in. We do not act or perform like everyone else. We stand out in a crowd. We are different. The scripture describes us as a peculiar people, meaning a singular people. However, in this instance, to be out of step is a good thing. The reason we are out of step is because we march to the beat of a different drum. In bands and some military parades, drums are used to provide a beat or cadence for marching. The drums establish a rhythmic beat that determines the steps of those marching. As Christians, we march to a different drummer. We follow the direction of the Lord Jesus Christ. He orders our step. So necessarily, we are out of step with the world for they are not marching to the beat set by the Lord Jesus Christ. So the theme is the importance that the Christian marches to the beat of a different drum. The key verse is Ephesians 4.17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. As Christians were to march in lockstep with the Lord Jesus Christ, for we are to be following him. Earlier in Ephesians chapter 4 that we had looked at, it had read, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord Jesus, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. To march in such a way that that is viewed as positive, it adorns and it commends the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, in order to march that way, we have to depart from the manner in which we marched before we were saved, when we were not followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. So in Ephesians 4, 17, it says this, I testify in the Lord that you no longer walk as the Gentiles do. There, there is a complete transition of walking differently, no longer walking the way we did, now walking in a new way that we'll be describing in just a little bit. But it starts off by looking at the characteristics, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> looking at the characteristics of the way people who are not followers of the Lord Jesus Christ march. What drum do they, they march to? Well, those who are not followers of the Lord Jesus Christ march without aim or purpose. Ephesians 4.17 now, this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. This word for futility is the aspect of without purpose, without aim, without direction. Ecclesiastes says, vanity of vanities, says the preacher, vanity, vanity, all is vanity, meaningless, meaningless, all is meaningless, purposeless, purposeless, all is purposeless. Um, number one, the, the need that people sense for purpose in life can be seen in the response to Rick Warren's book, The Person-Driven Life. Uh, that was written uh, back uh, a number of years ago, 
uh, published in 2012. And um, I note number two, the book topped the Wall Street Journal bestseller charts as well as Publishers Weekly charts. The Purpose Driven Life was also on the New York Times bestseller list for over 90 weeks. It had sold over 18 million copies by 2008 and 32 million copies within its decade of 2012. According to both the author and publisher, Simon, Moost, uh, uh, Simon and Schuster, 50 million copies had been sold in more than 85 languages by 2020. So that's a pretty significant response that demonstrates that people were interested in this subject of what is the purpose in life. And just out of curiosity, how many people have read The Purpose Driven Life? Jane? Okay, a number of you. That's a very worthwhile book. Rick Warren summarized the purpose of life in the following ways. Uh, it begins by asking the question, what on earth am I here for? And then he lists five purposes. First, you were planned by God's pleasure, Christian worship. You were formed for God's family, the Christian church. You were created to become like Christ, discipleship. You were shaped for serving God, Christian ministry, and you're made for mission, Christian mission, that is. So the non-believer really has no purpose, no meaning, no, no final goal for which they are working or, or trying to achieve for what comes next, what is after the end of life, what purpose, what meaning is there in all the toil, all the labor that they are putting forth. So they, they walk in futility, without purpose. Secondly, the characteristics of those who walk without aim or purpose. First, they're not able to see clearly. They are darkened in their understanding. They are darkened in their understanding. Um, so that uh, they cannot see clearly as they ought. They are strangers to life, which is to be had in the Lord Jesus Christ, verse 18, alienated from the life of God. These are people who are not born again. They are still in their, dead in their trespasses and sin. So everything that we look back at in, in chapter 2, where it talked about being dead in our trespasses and sins, and it delineated all of what that meant, these are people that are still Trapped, still governed by their deadness and sins. Thirdly, they have closed their minds to God as a result of resistance to the truth. Verse 18, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God, because of the ignorance that is in them, the ignorance that is in them. Uh, to be ignorant, I think most often we think of being unknowledgeable, uh, not to be aware. But the Greek word that is translated as ignorance into English has the sense of being self-delusional, self-delusional. It's a person that just refuses to listen, refuses to hear, 
gets to the place where they become irrational. You can't reason with them. They, they do not understand because they don't want to understand, which leads to an inability to understand. My father had Alzheimer's, as many of you know. Those of you who knew my father came to live with us. And um, he got to the place where he was extremely irrational. Uh, you couldn't reason with him. And he'd get up in the middle of the night, and uh, one night he was walking around the house, and he was shooing, and he was yelling, kielbasa, et cetera. And I said, Dad, what are you doing? He said, I am putting the cows back in the barn. They got loose. I said, okay. I said, you go to bed. I'll take care of the cows. And he went back. There was no reasoning with him. It, you couldn't just say to him, well, there are no cows. Uh, he saw cows. He believed there were cows. And, and that's where his mind was. And he was made up. And, and there was really no ability to dissuade him of what he was self-deluded about. Well, in this text, these are people who are, are self-deluded. And as a result, they have persistently resisted God's truth that is revealed in nature, the conscience, and the word of God. For it says, because the ignorance is in them, now here's the reason for the ignorance, it is due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous. They have become callous. Uh, I think we all realize what calluses are. We find them on our hands. If we have been laboring, uh, if you don't have calloused hands, if you go out and try to work and shovel, etc., you're going to get blisters. But if you've been working for a period of time and shoveling, etc., you, you get calluses. They, they get, your, your hands get hardened. Your hands become resistant. They're not going to blister by just doing some work, but, but now they're able to persist. They're, they're able to continue on. Well, here it is in a negative sense. A person who constantly is resisting the truth gets hardened. They get calloused. They get to the place where that, that truth isn't going to permeate any longer. So the person who resists truth, whatever form that may be in, whether that be in the conscience that I have already referred to, or whether it be the word of God, whatever source that truth is, if people just squash it, if they resist it, if, if they just deny it, eventually it's like water falling off the back of a duck. It, it just loses its impact. It loses its influence. And so here are people who, in essence, can't be reached because of the hardness of their hearts. And then, fifthly, they have replaced following God's truth with following their own sinful desires. You see, there's a downward progression to all of this. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality. Given themselves up to sensuality. To give oneself up to is to live without moral restraint. They, they, they just let themselves go. They do not put any self-restrictions upon themselves. They give themselves over to this way of life. Be they're governed not by the truth, but their own sinful desires, which is depicted as sensuality. 
Just a reminder of what Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Among whom we all once lived, and now here it is for us, we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind. We did what we felt like doing. We followed our emotions. We followed our lust. We followed our desires. Uh, whatever we felt like doing, that's what we did. And rather than following God's word, following the truth, we're simply doing that which becomes natural for us to do. That's how the world walks, just fulfilling their desires. Uh, if it feels right, do it. And the world has become so callous that they've really come to the conclusion that even to live conversely or adversely to what your desires are is unhealthy. <laughs> to deny yourself is not a good thing. It's, it's a bad thing. Uh, and so uh, they walk in accordance to their desires. But there's a contrast that we no longer are walking and ruled by our emotions and our desires. The contrast is those who are followers of the Lord Jesus Christ march to a different drum. Verse 20, but that is not the way you learn Christ. Hey, those who are followers of the Lord Jesus Christ are governed not by their sinful desires, but by the truth of God. Ephesians 4.21, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. These are people who have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. This phrase, assuming that you have heard about him, is uh, more than, than, than just having an awareness of who Jesus is. But these are people who are, are paying attention, paying attention. It's like a, a, a parent when, uh, you know, they become frustrated and uh, they become upset because their, their child isn't paying attention. They're, they're trying to instruct them. They're rolling their eyes, you know, that whole, whole thing. And uh, eventually you may get so frustrated that you may yell at them and say, do you hear me? Well, obviously they hear you. You're yelling at the top of your lungs. What, what you're really saying is, are you paying attention? Are you grasping this? Are, are you soaking this in? Are, are you acknowledging what I'm saying to you? So it's assuming that you not only have an awareness of Christ, but you have come to place your faith in Christ, that you believe in him and that which you have heard about him. Secondly, these are people who've been instructed in the word of God. For it says, and were taught in him. We, these are building on you know, previous weeks till we all come to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. I, I spoke on that. Um, so God realized we're, we're just building and building and building as we work our way through Ephesians. And then thirdly, these are people who have committed themselves to the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. For it says, as the truth is in Jesus, they have come to the conclusion that Jesus is the very source of truth. That what Jesus says 
is true. Jesus claimed for himself, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. These are people who have come to the realization that what Jesus said is true, that it's right, that we are not struggling with that, we're not fighting against that, we are not resisting that, we are not rejecting the authority of God or the scriptures. And you know, that's really what is foundational to our faith, the authority of God and the authority of his word, the Bible that we take it as truth, truth to live by, truth that can be depended upon, truth whose promises will be fulfilled, truth whose assessment of our being, our character is correct, it's right. It is the truth of God's word that becomes foundational to our marching orders. B, followers of Christ are those who have committed themselves to a new way of living. They have committed themselves to a true and lasting repentance and departing from their old way of living. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life. The gospel is a gospel of repentance. It's a gospel of repentance. It is a recognition that we had been living our lives in disobedience to God, not caring about the things of God, following our own way, following our own desire. And to accept Christ as our Savior is to believe on him for the deliverance, not only from the consequences of the sin of that behavior, but from the behavior itself, knowing that that behavior is not only damnable for eternity, but that behavior is counterproductive. It's destructive to us. It is not that which brings pleasure. It is that which brings harm. And so there's a different view about life and about what is good in life and what is bad in life, what is pleasurable in life and, and what is destructive in life. Secondly, they've committed themselves not to follow march and step drumbeat of their sinful desires, to put off the old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. You see, our desires, it says, are deceitful. That is, that which by our natural inclination we think is to our benefit, to our help, is actually Deceitful, it is really to our harm, it's to our detriment. Living a life of sin is not the good life. It's a life that's going to be filled with misery and heartache. And yet, we have this desire to live that way. And unfortunately, as believers, not all of those desires are taken away. Now, some of those desires change, but Every one of us in this room knows that there are points in time in which sinning looks like a nice thing to do or we would never do it. 
there is an emotional response that we have. There is the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. It's, it's what sin has this tug upon our emotions and upon our desires. And the scripture says that we have to deal with that through the reasoning of our minds. B, instead, they have committed themselves to live in keeping with the teaching of the word of God. Ephesians 4.23, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. So we find out that living the Christian life is, is a, a matter of the will. It's the matter of the will. It's, it's conscious decisions that we are making constantly to do what God teaches us is the right thing to do. Sometimes we will feel like doing the right things. Sometimes we will not feel like doing the right things. But we do the right things because it's the right thing. We do the right things because it pleases and glorifies God. We wrestle with our emotions. We wrestle with our desires by reflecting upon what God's word says, which we know to be true, and we understand the outcomes of what the scripture says and the benefits of living righteously as opposed to the corruption and the, and the heartache of living unrighteously. Paul writes in Romans chapter 12, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Uh, it's to place our, our bodies on the altar, these desires, these emotions, holy, acceptable to God, which is spiritual worship, do not be conformed to this world, this, this marching to this different drum that we've been talking about. Don't be conformed to the world. Don't let it press you, you in. We have a term that we refer to as peer pressure that teaches us that we should act and conduct ourselves in a certain way so do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. And now notice how that takes place by the renewal of your mind. That by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. So we are no longer just living out our emotions and our lusts, but instead, with a renewed mind, with a, a different way of thinking, accepting the authority of God and his word, we are constantly testing. We're constantly analyzing our life by, by saying, but what does the scripture say? And we don't just act as by impulse, but we act by the word of God. Number two, they have committed themselves to a whole new way of living. To put on the new self, to put on the new self, um, it is like a new set of clothes. And we change from dressing in one way to dressing in another way. And in this instance, it's unrighteously to dress righteously. A, there is a recognition that we have been created anew in the image of God. Originally, mankind was created in the image of God, Genesis 1.26. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Mankind rejected 
the image of God. That's described in Romans chapter 1. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. Going all the way back to Adam and Eve, going all the way back to what they knew about God, they knew the truth about God. God walked with them in the garden. God had revealed his will to them, namely that they could eat from any tree of the garden except for one tree. You shall not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for the day that you eat thereof you shall surely die. But Satan came to them and tempted them, and in particular tempted Eve with the question, has God said you shall not eat from the tree of the knowledge? Did, did God really say that? He's, he's questioning the authority of God. And then there is the actual rejection. Satan says, you will not die. You will not die. That's not going to happen. That's not going to be the outcome. Uh, and then they cast aspersion on the person and character of God. For the evil one says, for he knows that the day that you eat thereof, that your eyes will be opened and you will be able to discern between good and evil. And the scripture says when Eve looked at the fruit and saw it as something that was desirable, something to make her wise, she ate and gave up to Adam and he ate. Which is summed up in verse 21 of Romans chapter 1, futile in their thinking. Their foolish heart was darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of immortal God for images resembling mortal man. They believed this misrepresentation of who God is. This God is a God who is depriving you from that which is good. He's depriving you of that which is going to make you wise. He's depriving you of that which is beautiful. All because he doesn't want you to be like him. So they were deceived. Verse 23, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. And so we have idolatry. We have idolatry. And uh, the idolatry is making God in the image of a man or making him in the image of an animal or making whatever. And, you know, in the Old Testament, there actually were idols that were established and formed, and they took on human representation or animalistic representations. In the Old Testament, you know, we had the golden calves, et cetera, et cetera. But you see, what, what happens is in the modern day era, which we are, is the world makes God in their own image. God becomes what they want him to be. God becomes what they think is right or wrong. God would want us to do this or that. I've even had people say to me that, you know, I know what God's word says, but God wants me to be happy. And I can't be happy with, and then they're, they're talking about A, B, C, or D taking place. Their concept is God wants me to be happy. I'm unhappy. Therefore, 
Therefore, my situation has to be changed. Rather than asking, what does God say about my situation? What, what does God say I should do? What, what decision should I make about the, the situation in which I find myself? Three, therefore man became corrupted. Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forevermore. Putting it in simpler words, we become a server of ourselves rather than a server of God. In fact, the world makes God their servant. And the only reason they call upon God is for them to receive what it is that they want. And so James tells us, you have not because you ask not, and you ask and receive not because you consume it upon your loss. Because the things that you pray for are for your own desire, it's for your own ability, it's, it's self-serving. It's self-serving. I accepted Jesus as my Savior when, when I was probably about uh, five years old. Four years old, five years old, somewhere in that. I used to have a prayer life. Most of the time, my prayer life consisted of such things as right before I would go up to bat, I'd pray to hit a home run. I wanted the acclaim. I wanted people to think I was a good baseball player. I was looking for the fulfillment of my desires. I wasn't thinking about the glory of God. I wasn't asking for wisdom. I wasn't asking for anything that was, was glorifying to God. I wanted him to meet my desires. But I'll tell you, the world takes that position and puts it on steroids. And their concept is that God exists for my benefit, for my well-being, not my existing for his benefit and for his glory. It becomes topsy-turvy. But in Christ, we've been created anew in the image of God. Ephesians 4.24, to put on the new self created after likeness of God. As believers, we're given a do-over. We get a true second chance. It is as though we have been created again. You, you see, there's this incredible transformation that takes place as we become believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the scripture labors to help us understand how dramatic that transition becomes. It is a total transformation that takes place. Not just in our relationship to God, not just positionally, but subjectively as well. That God does a work in us. How, how mighty is that work? Well, words are used like a new creation. Born again. 
to be born a, a second time. And the scriptures, in talking about individuals, renames them to describe how this is a new person. So a Saul becomes a Paul. Simon becomes a Peter. We become different people as a result of this incredible working of the Spirit of God in our hearts and minds in transforming us, making us anew. So eventually, the desires, the lusts, the feelings change, but they're the caboose. They're not the engine. They are not what drives the change. What is the engine of the change is the Spirit of God working on our minds. It is the thought life, especially as it relates to Jesus and who he is and his authority. And as we allow the Spirit of God to influence our thoughts and our actions, it eventually affects our emotions and our desires. So, Ephesians 2, 4.24, to put on the new self, created after likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. 2 Corinthians 5.17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, 2 Corinthians 5.19, bringing us into this relationship with God. And see, we're to display the image of God, which is one of right actions. Ephesians 4.24, to put on the new self, created after likeness of God, in true righteousness. True righteousness. And when we talk about righteousness, we're talking about deeds. We're talking about actions. We're talking about doing that which is right. Truly what is right. Not what we perceive as right and wrong. For the scripture says that we, without Christ, make that which is evil right and make that which is right evil. But this is about true righteousness, about really how God would have us to live and we were to display the image of God, which is true moral purity unlike no other, which is found in the word holiness, to be morally pure. And to be morally pure has sexual connotations, but it's far more than, than sexual connotations. It is talking about a morality that is driven from the heart. From the heart. The scripture says, if you look upon a woman with lust, you have committed adultery in your heart. The scripture isn't just concerned about the actions. It's concerning about what underlies those actions. It's concerned about the heart. It's concerned about those desires that we've been talking about. But you see, the desires change 
as we seek to live in conformity with what the Word of God says, as we avail ourselves of the avenue of what the Word of God says. You see, it's important that we fight the good fight with the armament we have. Where we're heading is chapter 5, be not drunk with wine, which is sex, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. So we're to be relying upon the Holy Spirit. We need to be instructed about the Holy Spirit. Learn about the Holy Spirit. We get to the whole armament of God passage. To putting upon ourselves, taking upon yourselves the, the armor of God. And we will look at each piece of that armor. It is a conscious choice to be putting on the armor of God. As you get up and dress in the morning and you decide what you're going to wear, so too we have to decide each day how we're going to conduct ourselves, how we're going to respond to our wives, our children, our co-workers. How am I going to live my life this day? And there has to be a conscious decision to live for God followed by a recognition without God's grace it's impossible. It's not within me. I can make the resolve, but I can't follow through. So the next step is to plead with God for his strength, for his changing my heart, changing my desire, reinforcing my commitment, renewing my mind, and allowing me to follow through on what the word of God says about how I am to live for him. Believing the word of God, that that will teach me, that will help me, that will enable me to live for Christ. It starts with the mind and carries into the emotions, but by the power of the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, which we'll be looking at in the weeks to come. So the conclusion. First, the Christian life, the Christian is to live a life that is different from those of the non-believing world. Secondly, our lives to be lived purposefully to reveal God to the world. To live purposefully to reveal God to the world. Uh, Corinthians says that we are uh, given the ministry of, of reconciliation. We're going to see in Ephesians, it's talking about shining his light, etc., etc. But that is our purpose. That is our purpose, regardless of what your role in life is, what, what, regardless of what your workplace is, regardless of whether you are in the home, out of the home, whether you're in school, whether you're in a workplace, whether you're in the secular workplace, where, whether you are in a Christian business, it is to live our lives to the glory of God, to reveal God to others. That's what we're about. That's what we're about. And when we sin, we corrupt the image of God. We give people the wrong impression of what it is to be a Christian. We give people the wrong impression of what God is like. We misrepresent God every time we sin. Every time we make a righteous decision, we glorify God by pointing to God who 
makes only wise, good, holy, righteous decisions. So we are to reflect the person, the image of God. D. We are to do, we are to do so to show the world the true image of God, a God who is righteous and holy. E, our lives would reflect the beauty and gloriousness of that image. You see, God's glory is a beautiful thing. It is to be admired. We should long to be in his presence because it's going to be an ideal situation. People should get a taste of that by being in our presence. We should be people that are nice to be around. We're caring people. We are loving people. We are kind people. We are gracious people. We are forgiving people. We are helping people. We are people who are concerned about those who are suffering and needy. We are people who are better than their worldly friends who fail them, who hurt them, who backstab them, who betray them, who are unfaithful to them. We're different. We march to a different drum. F, for that to happen, our understanding about God and ourselves must change. G, God must open our eyes to the truth of God. For our eyes to be truly opened, we must be given life from God. Again, we're building here. Remember the prayer of Ephesians 1. I pray that the eyes of their understanding may be enlightened, that they may know what is the hope of their calling? What are the riches of the glory of the inheritance of the saints? What is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe? So the first step is praying that our eyes would be open, that we'd understand, that we would see, that we'd comprehend, that we'd believe, we'd have faith. Then to have life. We who were dead in our trespasses and sins. Then made alive by God. For by grace we have been saved through faith, and that not of ourselves, it's gift of God, not of works lest any man should boast. And then I, when our eyes are opened, we need to consistently make decisions that are in keeping with what the scriptures teach us as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are to live up to the light of the knowledge that we have. We're a blessed people. We are so blessed that our lives are being transformed. If we know Christ is our Savior, we are different than when we first came to know him. We were different now than we were before we came to know him. We just aren't to be satisfied with where we're at. We want to be conformed more and more to the image of Christ. More consistently. More completely. 
more profoundly, more wonderfully, more beautifully like Christ. May God help us. Let's pray. Almighty God, I, I pray that tonight you would give us the determination to live the transformed life. To be thankful that you have made us anew, that we are born again, that we are a different people. And we have a new relationship to you. And Lord, I pray that we would not hinder or quench the Spirit's working, but we would long for and promote the working of the Spirit in our lives. So that, Lord, we don't resist, we don't hinder, we don't pour water upon the Holy Spirit when the Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin. But we would be quick to repent. Quick to acknowledge, Lord, but by your grace, I'm going to commit the same sin again. I do it over and over and over again. Lord, we need your help. We need your deliverance. We need the transformation of our hearts and minds. We need the Holy Spirit to fill us, to control us. We need the armor of God. We need your protection. And oh Lord, help us to live this life so that you are glorified. May you give each one of us purpose tonight and realize whatever our state of health, whatever our strengths or whatever our weaknesses, whatever our age or condition in life is, whatever our situation is, may we purpose to live this moment to your glory walking in accordance with your word and not the dictates of the world and the flesh. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.